I want to continue speaking to us uh, over the next few weeks. As I said, we're building up towards Easter, continuing our series this morning, Seated with Christ. If you weren't here last week, I, I encourage you to get a copy of the message simply to lay a foundation. But Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, the Bible said, But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, thank God for His mercy. Amen. Notice He's rich in mercy. He's not rich in, rich in judgment or condemnation because the Bible said He placed all sin upon His Son, which Christians have to understand because of His great love with which He loved us. So God first loved us. That's why we can love Him back. He's not expecting us to have this unrealistic burden to try and love Him first like the Old Testament always taught. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses. So the Bible says, before you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are dead in sin. But He made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. And He raised us up together with Him and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So last week I risked my life and I'll risk it again today. People ask me, what are you doing up there in the heavens? I said, I'm sitting with Jesus in heavenly places. A simple analogy explanation like I said we built this prop specifically for the series to try and get you to remember something because I want you to understand that if you know where you are seated it'll keep you from being defeated many Christians are on this yo-yo this this up and down hamster wheel of am I good enough am I accepted by God I want to say this to you this morning the Bible said that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places and we looked at last week we looked at the fact that in the Old Testament under the law of Moses and sometimes people say why do you teach this stuff you know, doctrine or theology or theory in church. And I say, because sometimes Christians have never got this right. They don't sort this out. And so I'm trusting God that this series will help you to understand and get this sorted out. So once it is sorted out, you'll never actually walk in condemnation again. For there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ and with Christ. But the Bible says not only did Jesus sit down, and we looked at last week at the fact that in the Old Testament, the Old Testament priests were never able to sit down because if you sat down, it, it, it indicated completion. So when you sit down after a hard day's work on your couch at home, it indicates your day is complete and I'm sitting down. If you finish a meal, you sit down at the table to enjoy that meal. But in the Old Testament, the priests could never sit down because the Bible said they had to sacrifice animal blood over and over and over again. And it wasn't enough to remove man's sins permanently. So the priests, when, they, when God gave Moses the instructions to fill the tabernacle with all the different ornaments, a chair was not one of them. Now we know he sits on a throne, so I'm using a chair analogy. Its throne is a lot much nicer than this simple chair here. But I want you to get this this morning, is that if you understand what uh, God's salvation through Christ is all about, is that no one was allowed to sit down. So the, the priest, they used to select a priest every year in the Old Testament. He was the best of all the sinners. So like some of you sitting here today, everyone thinks, yes, my dio, I say, leave us rach. But actual fact, you might have a few skeletons in your closet, but we can't show those. So sometimes in the Old Testament, it was exactly the same. They would select a priest who they thought was the best of all the sinners. So he had a great 2023 or 2022 so far. So he looked like he was the best of the worst. So let's select him as the high priest. But this brother, he had a lot of pressure on him because the Bible says when this guy, once a year on the Day of Atonement, the Bible says that they used to give sacrifices every single day for different things. But one day a year, this priest would go in and he'd take blood with him for the atonement, the sacrifice of human sin. But here's the, the pressure point this brother faced. That if this brother hadn't confessed all of his sins, if he forgot one or two, and he wasn't totally clean before God. The Bible said when he went through that veil, 
was an inner court, the, the outer court, the inner court, and then there was a curtain, a little curtain. And only one guy could go through that curtain called the high priest. If he was selected by man, to go through this curtain. On the other side, there was the Holy of Holies. Now we know, I'm giving a bit of background here this morning for those of you that might not understand this, but when you look at the Old Testament, when Moses saw God, when he went up to Sinai to fetch the Ten Commandments, God's glory manifested and he asked God to show him his glory. And God said, you can't see it yet because if you see my full glory, you'll die. That's how powerful God's glory is. Man can't stand in the presence of God's glory in that time in the Old Testament. So he said, I'll just show you my back. And so Moses got a glimpse of what that glory was like. And the Bible said that when he came down, it looked like there was a veil over his face. But the Bible says that glory was drifting away. It was fading all the time as he moved away from the presence of God. And so this priest, when, when God chose the Levites, who was 12 tribes, one tribe was a Levitical tribe, the priestly tribe. 11 tribes were working tribes and only one tribe was allowed to minister in the temple. So they were in the, in the temple. And out of, these, uh, out of this one tribe, they would select one guy a year and he was called the high priest. And this guy would wear purple and he would be very important because he was now getting praise from man. But actual fact, Brother Benjamin might have had a few skeletons, but he was okay for this year. He looked like the best of the worst. But when Brother Benjamin went into that behind the curtain and Brother Benjamin had forgotten about one of his sins and he hadn't, the, the animal blood hadn't cleansed him totally. The Bible says, Brother Benjamin, the chances of him coming out were very low. And so he used to wear bells around his skirt or his dress so that if Brother Benjamin lied to God and it wasn't enough, they'd pull him out and they'd replace him with another high priest. Now, what has it got to do with my Christianity? Well, the Bible says that Jesus is our high priest. What does that mean? Well, the Bible says that no longer is God going to require the sacrifice of an animal blood, which only covered sin. He's now going to send the Lamb of God, His Son, to take away sin. Now, what does that mean? Well, the Bible says that when Jesus sat down, so remember, a priest couldn't sit down in the Old Testament. He had to keep ministering sacraments. And the Bible says that when Christ died, gave up His life on Calvary, when He was crucified and His blood was shed, for the remission, the forgiveness of sin. The Bible said He died, He was put into a tomb, He rose and then He ascended to the right hand of the Father and He sat down. When Jesus sat down, put that scripture verse up for me please. In Hebrews, the Bible says this, Hebrews chapter 10. Whereas Christ, having offered the one sacrifice, notice the all-sufficient sacrifice of Himself. Notice it wasn't the sacrifice of an animal another object or another part of a, a goat or a cow, whatever it was, they sacrificed. But He sacrificed Himself, the all-sufficient sacrifice, for sins for all time. I want you to notice that. For sins for all time. Many Christians grapple with this. And He says, He sat down, signifying the completion for the atonement of sins. Remember the Old Testament, the priest, the sin sacrifice was never complete. So they had to keep repeating it over and over again. But the Bible says when Christ sat down, not only did He sit down, but He also invited us up with Him when we accept Christ. The minute you say yes to Jesus, the Bible says He invites you up spiritually to sit with Him in heavenly places. Now, get this. If you are sitting down spiritually and I'm sitting down or He's sitting down and it signifies the completion, then the Bible says that we are made righteous. And for the first time in Old Testament to New Testament, for the first time, righteousness wasn't dependent upon a human being. 
It was dependent upon the sacrifice of Christ. It no longer was your righteousness or your good works towards righteousness. It was now His righteousness. So He removes all the pressure off of humanity, which the Old Testament, the Bible says, they were under this constant guilt and condemnation all the time to try and be righteous. They had to try and achieve righteousness as opposed to trying to receive righteousness. Oh yeah, this morning, laying a bit of a foundation because as we get this sorted out, the Bible says that you are going to understand that no longer can you walk under guilt and condemnation. When the enemy comes in like a flood or the Bible says when the accuser of the brethren comes to your mind and your heart and tells you, hey, you are unrighteous. Tell them, listen, how can I be unrighteous when it was never my righteousness in the first place? Amen. Can I become unrighteous, pastor? Well, it's not your righteousness. It wasn't your sacrifice. It wasn't your blood. So how could you become unrighteous if you just hold on to faith in Christ? Oh yeah, this morning. So the Bible speaks about a gift. I'll show you that in a moment. But I want you to understand that Christ having the all-sufficient sacrifice, He sat down. So He sat down. Notice, we now therefore, 2 Corinthians 6 verse 1, the Bible says, Paul the Apostle writes, and he says, We then, you and I, those that have accepted Christ, as workers together with Him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So Paul writes and he says, no longer are we trying to strive to achieve righteousness. We're not looking for God. Amen. God found us and He called us and He chose us and He let us sit down next to Him. And the Bible says what? We are now co-laborers with Christ. So we're not looking for God. We are now laboring with God. So we're on the same team. We're not one day you are unrighteous because of your natural flesh. Now, pastor, are you saying I can do what I want? You're saying that God has forgiven us sins for all time, past, present and future? Well, my question is, why would you want to disappoint your father once you've been received grace? Why do, you, why do you want to act as if you're this maniac that needs to sin all the time when you were that maniac and I was that maniac before we got saved? And why is it that Christians don't understand or don't believe that Jesus' blood had the ability to hold its power, in my case, for 1,992 years. I got saved in 1992. And Christ's blood had the ability to hold its power from the day that He was on Calvary and from the day that He said, it is finished. So Christ is no longer on a cross. The Bible said He became the ultimate sacrifice. The last altar that the Bible speaks of is the altar where Christ was Calvary, where He gave up His life. We no longer slaughter animals on altars to gain righteousness because it's no longer my righteousness, but it is His righteousness. And all I have to do is to receive it. That's the free gift of salvation. And so many people grapple with it. What must I do? Nothing, just receive it. Just receive it, amen? Just receive it. I actually have a little bit of a, a gift here. I said to Vainant, who was helping me this morning, I said, I hope that they put a voucher in here for you. And then you can take the voucher after we've used this, you see. So maybe there's something in here for someone. This morning, simple analogy, the gift of righteousness. So the Bible says that Jesus paid it in full. A gift, we know, Christmas. Now, in the next few weeks, you're gonna eat Easter eggs and you're gonna pick up a bit of weight. I understand all that because we make all these things marketable. But Jesus is the gift. The Bible said, you are saved by grace. Go to that scripture verse for me, please. We lay a foundation. Go to that scripture verse for me. So we are co-laborers with God. So the Bible says that for you have been saved, Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. For by grace, you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So in the Old Testament, as again, we looked at very often, 
you could outperform your brother through acts of righteousness. So I'm having a great week this week. Brother Benjamin has got a bit of a nicotine addiction. Brother Jude or Brother Dan or Brother Naphtali or Brother Reuben, whatever the tribe was, that guy's got a bit of a sugar addiction. This guy's got a bit of a porn addiction. This guy's got a bit of a nicotine addiction. This guy, but I haven't got any of those, so therefore I must be better. So it's all about my works. And according to my works of righteousness, I was accepted or rejected or I was promoted according to my works. Jesus comes along and He says, two men go up to the temple to pray. And He says, the one says, I'm so glad I'm not like that man because I bring my tithes, I bring my mint, my cumin, I do all the different things. I'm righteous in my own eyes. I've fulfilled all the requirements towards acceptance by God. Yet he'd never actually known God himself because remember only one guy, the high priest, only one guy could go past this veil and stand in the presence of God. This side of the veil, there was the Ark of the Covenant. It was a little box, not like this. It was a, a box and on there was a, the, uh, um, the cherubim and the seraphim. It was two angels or two bird-like angels that had their wings on top and inside there was was Aaron's rod was the Ten Commandments and there was some grain symbolizing the provision of God that God was able to make things grow that, that God is that we follow the law of Moses and so if this priest when he brought the blood sacrifice into this thing when he went past the veil and he got inside there the glory of God manifested that only this guy could stand in the presence of God for a, little, for a little while while He brought this blood sacrifice. And the reason for the curtain was that the glory of God couldn't escape the other side of the curtain. Otherwise, the other guys who weren't high priests would maybe fall under the power of God if you understand how this whole setup works because it's all intertwined in our Christian faith and we get confused between when God is speaking to a Jew and when God is speaking to a Gentile. And did you know that I've got no Jewish roots? The only Jewish roots I had was my mother worked for a Jewish boss for a few years. That's the closest I got to being uh, to a Jew. Amen. So we've got no attachment to, Je- to, to uh, Judaism. So we come into Christian faith and we start to say, yes, but Jesus said. But Jesus wasn't speaking to Gentiles. He was speaking to Jews. And Jews were required to upkeep many rules and regulations. One of them, which was, or 10 of them, which was the Ten Commandments. Now, I grew up as a young Christian being taught the Ten Commandments, but I was never a Jew. So what Jesus comes along and He finds that not only was there Ten Commandments, which He gave to Moses to lead people from the place of slavery into the place of promise, but the Bible says that when the Jews started to get confused, well, what did He really mean by by command number nine? Well, let's add to it. And I've been in Israel three times. If you go around, you still see so much religious law and religious uh, sort of protocol that they follow. And sometimes when the priests, now if you go to Israel, they pray every day at the Wailing Wall because they're still waiting for the promise of a Savior. A Jew today doesn't know that there is a Savior available to them through faith. A Jew's waiting. They're still wailing at the wall. There's a prayer wall. And they, they actually have these little black boxes on their heads. They're tied around their forehead with like a little black box. And inside the black box is the Ten Commandments. And they stand at the wall like this and they literally, they wail. They, they, they do like, ooh, they, they wail like that. They're praying, they're laboring. Why? Because they, they, they're trying to find righteousness. They're grappling for peace with God. Like many people today, they grapple with it. 
And sometimes we come into Christian churches or we come into Christian faith and no one, maybe, uh, I, sometimes I said, I realize I'm standing on thin ice here now as I teach this because I'm gonna poke a few holes in some people's religious doctrines and I'm trying to do that, by the way, amen. Because whom the sun sets free is free indeed, amen. I can't set you free. I'm just the one who is learning and growing in my faith as well. And I realize more and more that there are so many Christians that are bound by things they think Jesus said to them and He never said it to them, He said it to Jews. And today when you come to your, 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 your walk with God, we have this, this thing about, but pastor, I had a cigarette yesterday. Yes, and what about it? Because Paul says this, he says, when I accepted Christ, he says, I became dead to sin and alive to God. So we think, well, can I become unrighteousness? Can I become unrighteous if I sin? Well, again, I'm gonna say to you this morning, it was never your righteousness to start with. In the Old Testament, you could become unrighteous. David, we know the story. He has an affair with uh, Bathsheba. He sins, he falls short of the glory of God. And David comes and when Nathan the prophet comes and he says, you the sinner, blah, blah, blah. David runs into his inner room and he cries out to God. He said, God, he said, creating me a clean heart. And he says, take not your Holy Spirit from me. People say, you see, you can lose your salvation. Well, remember, David was under the law. He hadn't yet received the promise. David could lose it and David could gain it. It was an up and down process. That's why when Jesus comes along, he says, come to me. All of you that are burdened, heavy laden, let me give you rest. You see, there's a rest for believers in Christ, if you understand what I'm trying to tell you. There's a rest, not a passivity, which many pastors become nervous about. Pastor, you saying that there's a rest so we're gonna do nothing? I didn't say that. I'm not talking about passivity, I'm talking about rest. You can work very hard and be in rest and you can work very hard and be in unrest. You can can work very hard and gain nothing and you can do nothing and gain everything. You see, you have to understand where you are seated. You have to understand what gift was given to you. Jesus speaks about three kinds of workers. He says, the kingdom of God is like a man who, go, who employs people into his, into his vineyard to work. The one he employs at nine o'clock in the morning. The one he employs at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. And the other one he employs at three o'clock in the afternoon. And he says, at home time, they went to fetch their wages and they all got the same salary. And the guy at nine o'clock had a easy fit. Because why? Because he thought the harder I worked, the more I should earn. And what Jesus was trying to explain to them was, no matter what time you enter the kingdom, the gift is the same. It's the same gift. It's not a wage and a salary, it's a gift. How did the guy on the cross, the murderer and the beggar, on either side of Christ, how did he make it? He said, Jesus, today I believe. And he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Why? Because Jesus gave him the gift. There was no works. There was no labor to enter that rest. Yes, the Bible says, don't harden your heart and miss that. He said, labor to enter the rest. He said, but you can't labor to gain righteousness. Oh yeah, this morning. And I wanna take a few weeks, like I said, to build the series because I really, as the Lord has been um, revealing this into my heart and as I've been studying this out and as I've been spending time with the Lord, I realize I myself got saved. And I told you before, I got saved in a church that meant well. No church opens up their doors on a Sunday and tries to do bad. But sometimes the pastor has just been taught by his pastor who was taught by his pastor. It's like I tell people, it's like, it's like uh, the, the story of the, the young girl who's watching her mother cook Sunday lunch and she breaks the back legs of the chicken off. She says, Ma, why do you break the back legs of the chicken off? She says, no, my mother did it. 
She's, oh, why did she do I don't know. She's coming for lunch. Ask Gran when she arrives. Her grandmother arrives and she says, Gran, I believe you broke the, you also break the back legs of the chicken off when you put it into the pan to, for lunch. She says, yes, why? She says, no, my mother did it. She says, oh, why did your mother do it? She says, no, we never had a big enough pan. And four generations later, they're still doing the same thing incorrectly because somebody else did it before them. And sometimes we're serving Christ and we're feeling we're unworthy. We come into church on a Sunday and we go, I don't know if I could come to church. And some of you have been there, but I've been there often before in my Christian walk. I don't know if I'm doing enough for God. I don't know if I'm enough for God. And he says, but what don't you understand, Aiden? The gift of righteousness was never yours. So if I put dirt over myself this morning, if I could cover myself in dirt to symbolize sin, what does it do with the gift? Nothing. The gift stays. The gift is mine. It's mine. It might be a dirty gift or I might be dirty, but the gift stays, stays pure. It's never my righteousness. And I want you to understand that from today until the day you go to be with Jesus. Why? Because you are seated with Christ. Where? In heavenly places. Spiritually, are you here this morning? Amen. Come on, give Jesus a shout of praise all over this place. Look at your... Look at your neighbor and say, shoo, that's a lot of pressure off me now. Shoo, that's a lot of pressure off me. Listen to what the Bible says. A few scripture verses this morning. Are you getting something? Are you glad you came to church? Are you glad it's not about your good works? Yes, we saved unto good works. Are you glad it's not about your, your works of righteousness? Pastor, but what if I sin? Listen, it pleased the Father to smite the Son. Amen. All I tell Christians over and over again, you can't be cursed in Christ because the Bible said cursed is he who hangs on a tree. Jesus was, was cursed for humanity's sake. Every curse, people go, yes, but pastor, we must. I went for deliverance, by the way. I was saved and then they told me I still had a, a, a spirit of lust. I said, no, I'm just a man. If you haven't got a, a desire for a woman, if you're a man, come see me. We'll pray for you, amen, to get that desire because something must be wrong with you. So we have testosterone, it's in us, amen. Are you here this morning? So the Bible says, curse is you, hangs in a tree. By the way, the, the cross of Christ, the reason this piece is on, the cross used to be a T. It was two pieces of wooden branches. It wasn't a perfect, like we've depicted in this square image on, on, over, over years. It was little wooden branches. They cut a tree down and they used to nail this piece on top of this piece. And most guys, their head would fall back so they would suffocate to death when they were hanging on this cross. That's how they died. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't sustain themselves as the blood was dripping out their bodies. Their heads would fall back and they'd suffocate to death. And the reason Christ had a piece on top was because they mocked Him and they said, but you are the King of the Jews. You're claiming to be the King of the Jews. So they put an additional piece on and this thing said King of the Jews. That's why His piece had an extra piece on top. But the Bible says that cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So if the curse of humanity's sin, the one all-sufficient blood sacrifice, if it was enough and it hung on the tree and God cursed every form of human sin once with Christ, then you and I cannot be cursed in Christ. Oh, we can be barren in Christ. We cannot apply seed time and harvest and we can be barren. Like a farmer who wants to grow his, his crops, but he feels that, you know, he's just gonna hold all the seed in the barn and he wants to pray and ask God to bless him. No, my brother, you have to put some seed in the ground. But you cannot, you cannot be cursed in Christ in, 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 as a Christian. You can't be cursed. Stop looking for a third generational curse. It was sorted out by Jesus' blood. Amen. It was sorted out by Jesus' blood. Are you here this morning? Yes, but pastor. Yes, but pastor. No, 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 no. I'm here to help you this morning. I want to say this to you. 
Because sometimes we wake up in the morning, we think, I wonder if God loves me. Listen, 2,000 years ago, He said, it is finished. Christians do not understand the finished work of Christ. And when God said it is finished, it is finished. And now there is a free gift of righteousness. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ like I didn't. I was saved, I was, I was in a religious institution, I don't criticize it. They never taught me about righteousness, they never taught me about salvation. I just had to follow a bunch of religious rules like the Jews had to. And so when I was confirmed in my church and they gave me a St. Christopher, whoever he was, they told me he's the patron saint of something. I said, okay, great. And then I, I wore the St. Christopher around my neck for a few years because they gave it to me religiously. I don't know what it meant. Maybe my girlfriends liked it, they thought I was cool. They said, I said, oh, this is Chris. A little bit short of Christ, but it was Christopher. He was close so we could get to, to Christ. It was St. Christopher. And it's all these religious things, all these attachments. And the Bible said, who's bewitched you? Paul said, who's bewitched you from the simplicity of this gospel? He says, you started out in the spirit and now you're back in the flesh of all these rules and regulations. Now it's about don't touch, don't drink, don't eat, keep the Sabbath, all these things. He says, we're back under the law of Moses. He says, but, but he says, let me read to you the Scripture verse so you don't think I'm speaking out of my head this morning. Let me give you the Scripture verse. Romans 3 verse 21, the Bible says, listen, but now the righteousness of God, notice it's not the righteousness of humans and their performance in keeping a bunch of rules. He says, it's the righteousness of God without the law is now manifested. So he says, your righteousness is now made known without the law. We don't need the Ten Commandments and people have hissy fits about that. And they go, okay. If you want to play the law game, says, the, says Paul, he says, then you must keep the whole law. Now, if you've been to Israel, the Sabbath is the Shabbat, which is Friday night to Saturday night. So if you want to keep the Shabbat and you want to be a law-keeping Christian, then do me a favor. From this week, Friday night, you put everything off. No TV, no internet, no Wi-Fi, no sex, no partying, no beers, no wine. You have to just be do nothing. You have to rest because it's one of the requirements. And if you're having a fight with your wife on a Thursday, guess what? Happy Friday for you. You've got to sit with her for the whole day. And you can't do anything. We went to Israel, never understood this until you go there. They've got Shabbat lifts. A Jew can't push a button because they see it as a flame. They can't turn on a stove, it's a flame. They can't turn a key of a car, it's a flame. They can't hit a, the button of a lift, it's a flame. So the lift opens and closes on every floor. It's painful. So what the Jews do is they look for heathens, for Christians. Then they stand and they wait in the, in the passage of the lift and they go, what floor are you going? I say, I'm going to ground floor. If I push the, the lift, they jump in with me because they go straight to ground. But they've got their own lift called the Shabbat lift. And a Jew has to go, if he's on the 19th floor, it's a long way down to ground. But what does he do? He keeps the law. I can't push a button on the Shabbat because Moses said so. And Jesus comes along and he heals a man on the Shabbat and they have a hissy fit. Blasphemy, heresy, crucify him. And Jesus says, how many of you, if you have a cow or a donkey or a thing that you own on your farm and it falls into a pit, won't you try and save its life? He says, but you're okay with that. But yet you, you want to judge me for healing a man on the Sabbath. Remember, Jesus didn't come from Levi. Je Jesus is from the lion, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now remember, in those days, the priestly guys, these guys that ministered the sacraments, Moses was a Levite. Aaron was a Levite. So only Levites could minister spiritual things. All the other tribes couldn't access God's presence. So if you were a Jew 
and you weren't a Levite, you never could be with God yourself personally. You could only know about God through the Levites. And the only, out of all the Levites, if there was five million of them, only one guy could speak to God personally, one. And that day, if the blood was accepted and this guy remembered all of his sins and he got rid of them all because the animal blood covered them and he made it and the brother walked out, he went, shoo, that was intense. And he came out and he took the shofar, the trumpet, and he blew it. And when he blew it, the 11 tribes went, yay, we at one with God. We are atoned. Our sins are atoned. It's called the day of atonement, at one. It was one day a year. And then brother Naphtali and brother Benjamin decided to go and have a bit of a sundowner to celebrate the Shabbat ending on Saturday night. It was brutal. I fought with Ruth and Naomi the whole day, but I couldn't fight with her because I'd be condemned and judged. So I just, we just sulked the whole day sat like this, blast opis, because we have to keep the law. Saturday night, six o'clock, the Shabbat ends, six minutes past one, they're there at the Nielsi, Stellenbosch. That blue Peter, whew, whew. I make it a GNT double, yes, it's been hard, whew, whew. Brother Benjamin has two, and then he says, his friend goes, nah man, just one more, okay, in for Eventually the brother Benjamin he starts seeing Sister Ruth, and Sister Ruth looks pretty after six gin and tonics. And he starts flirting with Sister. He says, give me your WhatsApp number. I was going through the book of, I was going for the book of numbers and I seem to have lost yours, amen. And the brother, he knows the law, he knows the Bible. At this point, he's swearing all kinds of things. I swear I'm marrying And the next morning, he gets home and his wife has got the pan out she wants to because he's been gone the whole night and he puts him in bed and he wakes up the next morning and it's one day after the shofar was blown and brother Benjamin goes I'm not worthy now he's under this guilt 364 days later he can only feel good again he's got to go a whole year under this guilt of this one night when he made this little mistake and David makes this mistake with Bathsheba throughout your Bible they caught that woman in adultery. I showed us last week. And the law of Moses says, according to the law, she should be stoned to death. It's the rule. What is your sentence, Jesus? And instead of giving him the death sentence, he gives her the life sentence. And he says to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? You see, because the Bible says, we don't have to accuse each other. The enemy's already doing a good job at that. He wakes up at three o'clock in the morning and tells you you're gonna go bankrupt. He wakes up at four o'clock in the morning and he reminds you of what? He reminds you of everything you said wrong and did wrong. And we think, well, I'm not right with God. You feel like a Jew. I'm not at one with God. Let me, let me help you this morning. The day that you were invited up into heavenly places with Christ, when He sat down 2,000 years ago, today, if you today will make a decision and say yes to Christ, He's gonna invite you to come sit next to Him. And He's gonna say to you, how are you doing, Aiden? I'm going, Jesus, has been tough out there. He goes, don't worry. You should have seen what Calvary was like for me. It was just as hard. But he said, I endured. I suffered the, the pain. I, I, I endured. I, I was in, in Gethsemane. I, I finished the plan of God. And now we're seated. We're resting. No longer are we in a place of laboring to enter. We are now here. This morning, if you've, if you've accepted Christ, whatever the days you accepted Christ, you are seated with Christ. And I want you to know today to walk in rest. But pastor, I've got bills to pay. I understand that. 
that doesn't change your righteousness. But pastor, I've made a mistake. That doesn't change your righteousness. But pastor, I've said certain things. It doesn't change your righteousness because it was never your righteousness from the start. It's His righteousness. So what does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 6? He says to the Jews, He says, you people are seeking the righteousness of Moses or the law of Moses and your righteousness. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. He wasn't talking to Christians. So if you wanna seek first God's kingdom, how do you seek God's kingdom when you're in the kingdom? How do you seek God's righteousness when you are really righteous? All you have to do now is walk in that righteousness. You have to, you, you own that righteousness. Are you here this morning? Listen to what the Bible says. Let me continue. Listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says even verse 22, Romans 3, I'm there. Even the righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ, not even your my faith, it was Jesus' faith that made us righteous. Unto all and upon all of them that believe, for there is no difference. Listen to what he says. He says, for all have sinned, not those who think they're okay and those who think they are not okay. He says, every single human from Adam until now, everyone has sinned and come short of the glory of God. So he says, therefore there is no human flesh that can satisfy the requirements of God's acceptance into heaven. Only one did, and he was called the Lamb of God, who not covers your sin, but who takes away the sins of the world. You're not sitting here this morning. You're not a sinner saved by grace this morning. Christians say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, you were a sinner before you accepted Christ. The minute you accepted Christ, you became a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. Amen. You are chosen by God. You are no longer are you a sinner saved by grace because the minute you call yourself a sinner saved by grace, you're saying, I could slide back into the sinful, unrighteous state and you cannot. Oh, your flesh will cause all kinds of trouble and there's consequence to that flesh. There's consequence. If you sleep with that girl and you're a born again Christian and she falls pregnant, take for yourself fatherhood. It's a consequence. If you do dumb things or you do whatever it is, like all of us will still do in our flesh. But the Bible says we don't need the law of Moses to change our minds. He says grace helps us to turn our back on unrighteousness. Oh yeah, this morning. And I say this to us because sometimes we walk under this guilt because as, as humans, we have, this, we have this wrong teaching. And I was taught wrong all my Christian walk. Listen, Hebrews chapter four, verse six. The Bible says, those who firsthand first heard the good news of deliverance, speaking about the Jews, they failed to enter into that realm of faith's rest because of their unbelieving hearts. So they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Yet He preached the Gospel to them. They were the first people to hear the Gospel and they rejected Him. He says, yet the fact remains that we still have the opportunity to enter into the faith rest life and experience the fulfillment of the promise. Notice those that are unsaved. He says, you have that opportunity now to enter. He says, for God still has ordained a day for us to enter into it called today. He says, today, if you will enter, I'll welcome you in. Not on the day of atonement. Not on that day. When only one day, He says, any day that you say yes, come in. You're welcome in. He says, for it was long afterwards that God repeated it in David's words. If only today you would listen to His voice and do not harden your hearts. Don't harden your heart this morning. I beg you against God's goodness. He says, now, if this promise of rest, listen, was fulfilled when Joshua brought the people into the land, the, the promised land, he said, God wouldn't have spoken later of another rest yet to come. So even the Jews, when they thought they left Egypt and they entered the promised land, this is the place of rest. And he says, no, that wasn't the rest, the promise, the Christ was still gonna come. So we, we're looking sometimes for a physical place of rest. Let's emigrate to New Zealand. The Jews were looking for a physical place of rest. And he says, that wasn't the place neither. If you go to New Zealand, let me give you a hint. They don't have the World Cup. We have it. Let me give you a hint. They can't play rugby like we can. 
Let me give you a hint. They're going to sin in a different accent. That's the only difference. I want to find a place of rest for my children. We can rest in Christ in Cape Town. You can rest in Christ in Cape Town. Oh, yeah. And I say this respectfully to people that have moved to Cape Town recently because everyone's moving here. It's the place of land and milk and honey. I understand all that. I understand that. I understand whatever your reason is. I'm not criticizing that. But you can move to Cape Town looking for a physical place and still be in unrest. You can be here and battle here because your motive is to find a physical place. And the Bible says the only time you're going to find rest is if you understand you have to find rest in Christ. And the only time you find rest in Christ is when you make a decision to say, I believe and I receive. And there's nothing I have to do. Just receive it. Oh yeah, this morning? Just receive it. Oh yeah, this morning? Listen, listen. And if you are in Cape Town, you've moved here and you're in a place of unrest, I guarantee you, receive Christ and watch. Pastor, is even going to be moonshine and roses? No. We're going to grow in our faith, but guess what? You're going to go to that place and you're going to be seated with Him. He says this, verse 9. So we conclude that there is still a full and complete rest, amen, waiting for believers to experience. As we enter into God's faith rest life, we cease from our own works. There it is. We cease from our own works. Not talking about being saved unto good works where TLC and CRC cares and, and we're gonna uh, go to crashes and we, that's, though, that's being saved unto good works. Remember, our faith is not required any longer to, 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 to achieve righteousness. Our faith is now used to co-labor with God. So we don't labor with God because we're guilty or we're in a bad place. We labor with God because we're now saved unto good works. Don't confuse the two. But the Jews used to use their faith to enter that rest. And they were, it was all about achievement based. So we're gonna do greater things for God. We're gonna build bigger buildings. We're gonna see more people saved than ever before. But we're gonna do it from a place of rest. Oh yeah, this morning. So he says what? So we conclude that there is still a full and complete rest waiting for believers to experience as we enter into God's faith rest life. We cease from our own works, just as God celebrates His finished works and rest. So everyone goes, the, the, the God created the earth for six days and the seventh day He rested. He didn't make an eighth day and a ninth day and a tenth day. He rested. So we don't have to make more laws to be Christians. Just rest in it. It's finished. Don't add. Just rest in it. Verse 11. So then we must give our all and be eager to experience this faith rest life so that no one falls short by following the same pattern of doubt and unbelief. So he says, don't, don't fall into the trap. Three things quickly before we close. So what is this place of rest? Well, number one, knowing that it is finished, the blood requirement for sin cancellation was paid in full through the blood of Jesus. You can't add to it. You can't take it away. It's done. It's finished. Amen. It's like many people, you buy a house and you pay for the house in 2019. And then in 2023, the bank comes back and says, but you must pay another 500,000 on the house. You said, but we agreed over there. We paid it in full then. It's like we, we, as Christians, we sometimes are like that. We think that we have to pay additional prices after Christ paid it all. No, it's paid in all. It's paid in full. All you have to do is receive the gift. Amen. Don't add to it. Number two, rest is knowing that God doesn't base your righteousness on your human faithfulness to Him as the Lord did, but on His faithfulness to Himself. Hebrews 6.13 For when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater he swore by himself saying surely blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply you and so after that he patiently endured and he obtained the promise. Number three rest is knowing that we use faith to achieve our righteousness but we use our faith to receive righteousness. We don't use our faith sorry to achieve our righteousness 
but we use our faith to receive righteousness. Ephesians 2 verse 8, I read earlier, before by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works as anyone should boast. Hebrews 10 verse 1, for the law, listen, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the thing. So he says the law was a shadow, it wasn't the thing. Can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. So he says the animal blood wasn't enough. For then they would not have ceased to be offered. Would they not have ceased to be offered if it was enough? He says, for the worshippers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sin. He said, but they did, they kept on sinning. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls or goats could take away sins. Ephesians 1 verse 7, since we are now joined to Christ, we've been given the treasures of redemption by His blood, the total cancellation of our sins, all because of the cascading riches of His grace. Colossians 1.14, for in the Son, all our sins are cancelled and we have the release of redemption through His very blood. Titus 2 verse 11, God's marvelous grace has manifested in person through Christ, bringing salvation for everyone. The same grace, listen, teaches us how to live each day as we turn our backs on ungodliness and an indulgent lifestyle. And it equips us to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. We don't need the law of Moses. We have this gift. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Stand on your feet with me all over this place this morning. A lot of information. Watch the message over and over again. Get this into your heart. Do you receive the word this morning? Do you receive the word this morning? How many of you are so glad you took the time to come to church today? Come on, give Jesus a shout of praise this morning. I'm seated with Christ. It is finished. No longer do you have to use your works of achievement to be righteous. Maybe standing here, we're going to close the service in a moment. You're standing here this morning and You've never understood this, maybe. I mean, listen, I was, I was confirmed in my church. I was religious, but I wasn't saved. You might stand here this morning and say, but I followed all the rituals of my tradition. I understand that, but Jesus says, it's your tradition that kills. He said, it's only the Son who gives life. Maybe you've never received this gift of righteousness. I want to invite you this morning in a moment. We're going to worship the Lord for a few moments just to allow people this morning to enter that place. And as we do that this morning, we're going to give you an opportunity. And I want to say to you, please, I beg you, don't stand there and think I'm not worthy. You are right. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the Bible says this, the gift of righteousness was paid in full by Christ. There's nothing you have to do. All you have to do is receive it. Are you willing to receive this gift this morning? Thank you for listening to this powerful message. If your life was impacted in any way and you would want to connect to any of our CRC churches worldwide, then please go visit our website at crccapetown.co.za and click on the Plan a Visit tab. Thank you for listening.